Welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. On today's podcast, we are joined by Nick Graham to talk some hoops, as we will be joined most every week here as we move through Big 12 play here on CycloneFanatic.com. Today's podcast recorded in the Carl Chevrolet Studios in Ankeny. If you're looking to buy a newer pre-owned vehicle, Carl Chevrolet in Ankeny, Carl Chevrolet of Stewart are the places to go. You can check them out online, carlchevrolet.com, carlchevroletstewart.com, or you can check out their lots at Exit 90 at The Rock in Ankeny off I-35 or at Carl Chevrolet of Stewart just west of the Des Moines metro. On the podcast, we talk a little bit about Iowa State's loss to TCU on Saturday. Look ahead to the game Wednesday night against the Kansas Jayhawks, and then we just give some overarching thoughts on the Big 12 now through mostly one game a couple teams have played two doesn't matter talk about the big 12 talk about big 12 hoops talk about college hoops in general as well and then nick wants to get chris williams's rap recommendations so it was it should be a, a good podcast for you guys i think the quality of the audio is improved from where it was uh when we last did a podcast whatever that was two weeks ago i don't remember time all runs together at this point so We'll be joined now by Nick Graham in the Carl Chevrolet Studios on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to the Cyclone Fanatic podcast where we are joined by Cyclone Fanatic. Now, I'm going to call you recurring contributor, Nick Graham. What's up, man? What's going on, man? Just glad to be here with you talking, uh, talking a little hoops, talking a little Big 12 hoops. So I'm good, man. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's good to be into the full swing now of, of Big 12 basketball with uh, one Saturday out of the way going into now the, the first full week of, of conference basketball in, here in, in this league. And, um, you know, I think we're going to start first with Iowa State's game against TCU. I, I talked a lot about this on our on my instant reaction podcast I did on on Saturday. But now that we both had some time to digest the game a little bit. I think there's some positives and some negatives that can be taken away from the game. Um, but I think the first thing we really need to talk about is Iowa State's defense, you know, especially on the when it comes to defending the pick and roll, because that to me seems like the most concerning thing for the Cyclones going in uh, to the, the meat of this Big 12 schedule. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that like, you know, with this team, um, I think that they're, the margin for error is uh, – significantly de- decrease when you think about compared to last year's team because um, they had so much offensive power oh, or firepower I should say that they could make up for it where this team just doesn't have that you know every year with the turnover in college basketball you know your identity doesn't roll over every year there's a different identity and I think that this year's team has to be you know committed to uh, defense and when I say that it's not necessarily the effort um, but it's the execution it's the execution time after time. You know how it is, man. You've been covering Iowa State in the Big 12 long enough to know that, you know, you can play hard, and that doesn't mean you're going to win in this league. So, I mean, I think that for sure the the defensive breakdowns have to decrease significantly. Yeah, and, and we've talked a lot about just the 
the defensive identity and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's it's nothing new, you know, for for what this team is going to need to be. But I mean, I think that when you you look at that game like against TCU, and and it feels like they took some step forward in that sense, where they were they were playing hard. I think they matched TCU's intensity level for the most part. But when you just have so many mental breakdowns as far as uh, as far as execution where you know if you're supposed to be covering a screen one way um, and then there's too many times where you're not tagging the screeners or you're not doing something where you're not getting your help over and stuff like that and that's just mental breakdowns as much as it is anything else and like how you know Iowa State's got to figure out a way to where they they do things the correct way every single time and and that's just it's tough but at the same time like that it it's it's kind of gets that simple sometimes. Yeah, no, nah, I think and for sure. And the thing is, man, like TCU, the way that they play, you know, with the four guards, um, you know, they spread you. They, they do a good job of spreading you out. And when you watch them attack with that middle ball screen, a lot of times there's like three people like lifted up, free throw line extended or higher. Then there's that one shooter in the corner. So like the slightest um, – miscommunication or just uh, the slightest delay in reaction, you know, they're going to make you pay. And they did a good job with their ball handlers, uh, you know, uh, being able to make the pass, whether it was hitting a roll man or whether it was hitting uh, the shooter in the corner. But you're exactly right. You know, whatever you do, however, whatever your pick and roll coverage is, there's vulnerabilities, there's strengths, but whatever it is, whatever you agree to do, you have to do it. You can't be delayed on the tag hitting a roller. Um, as Iowa State was a lot, you know, I think that on all three levels, their ball screen defense, you know, has to be more consistent. And I think it starts with the point guard. You know, I think that, you know, like I said, they wanted to go under a lot. So if you want to go under, the deeper you let the ball screen get initiated, the more pressure it puts on you. You know, if you want to go under, then it's on your point guard to pick them up and force them to have to get into their ball screen action early now it takes pressure off when you go under. So whatever it is, you know, I think that everybody has to be accountable. Obviously, the the guards in the weak side that aren't involved, they have to be alert and they have to move with the ball and they have to tag early. And then, you know, obviously, like with your big, they have to be able to if you're going to if you're going to hedge hard, for example, they have to know that and they have to be able to get back and not over hedge and over help where they're either getting a foul call or. What happened a lot of times with Iowa State, they get so extended out that now it puts a lot of pressure on the backside of your defense. So I think that those are things that that I would imagine they're really, really focused on working on this next week. Yeah, and if, you know, just for people that are are listening to us, I encourage them to just go back and watch the game again. And and when, when we say that, I mean, TCU was consistently able to set those picks for their their middle pick and roll. I mean, right at the three point line, or even uh, you know, right right inside that offensive area. And and you know, you hear it all the time how you want as a defense, you want to push people out, you want to make them set their mm-hmm. offense from further away from the hoop. And that's what makes so made it so difficult for for Iowa State going against Samuel, where you're trying to against Kevin Samuel, where you he gets so many of those easy dunks. Like you think about, you want a hard hedge. Okay, well then he's got to take like two steps to get from the three point line to the basket, mm-hmm. and if you're not getting over there quick enough, uh, I mean, I think the best situation that comes to my mind is there's one where Solomon Young came out to hard hedge, and it didn't matter how hard Solomon tried to get back. I mean, Kevin Samuel's six foot nine, six foot ten, however big that he is, it doesn't take him very much to get to the hoop. 
Solomon's hustling his ass off back to back to the rim and he still gets dunked on just because it's like I mean Samuel can catch the ball and load up with very little resistance I mean it, it's almost impossible to be able to do anything against that and that's where that's what it comes into what you're saying where it's like you've got to put more resistance on them and just being able to even set their offense and and not allowing them to to kind of do whatever they want and dictate the defense is reacting to them rather than the re- defense forcing them to react to what the defense is doing if that makes sense yeah, absolutely. I, I, and I think that, like, when you watch the when you watch the game, um, you look at. I think I want to say six, nine of their first sixteen points were off of ball screens and had something to do with some sort of breakdown. And you know, um, Iowa State is obviously more than capable. They've been coached up to do the right thing. You know, I think that I think it was like George Kindness maybe first or second possession. They come off the ball screen um, and they forced the ball handler to turn his back to the basket. You know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. they, they extended out because they competed. You know, they added resistance. So they forced him to work to get to his spot on the ball screen. Then he comes off, um, and they competed on the actual coverage of the ball screen when it happened, and the ball handler turned his back to the basket. And so now all of a sudden, everybody's able to, like, kind of take a deep breath and recover you know, but like when you allow that ball handle, like you said, they said it's so deep and it's easy for him to get downhill. You know, a Big 12 guard is skilled. You know, obviously, like with my with my background being a trainer, I know like you work on scoring off ball screens, passing off ball screens and reads like that. So if you let a Big, big 12 caliber uh, point guard be able to get downhill and be able to uh, – get in a position where he's going to be able to make every pass. Right. He's going to be able to make every decision and all that kind of stuff. So I think that, yeah, yeah. Like they, they're more than capable. It's just about the, uh, it's just about the consistency and the commitment to doing it every time. Do you, do you by chance remember who it was that was guarding the ball in that situation? Cause that is something I Man. noticed that Trey Jackson is pretty good at. I mean, when, yeah, when he's I on the floor, say, I'm pretty sure it was Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. And, th- and that's where I, I'm, what's up. No, I'm I'm pretty sure it was it was Jackson and Condit. Yeah, um, I th- I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, and that's that that's another thing that I was I was going to kind of talk about here is just, I mean, I think that that lineup and they used that same lineup for basically the last 13 minutes and then all of overtime in the game, and and I had someone ask us ask me on our forums today if I see them using that lineup more going forward, and I mean, I think I think they have to because I think that that's their best defensive lineup I mean Trey Jackson has not shot the ball very well but right now it it just feels like that's their best opportunity to be really good defensively and if they're going to be really good and that's what we've already talked about this a lot just the they've got to be good defensively I think that they can kind of counteract what you lose a little bit on the offensive end and um and and I like the way that that kid competes even though you know maybe he doesn't bring that much for you on the offensive end yeah, no, I mean, I think I think that's the dilemma. That's probably what's going on in staff meetings. Like, you know, what do we do? You know, it's just like, you know, when you, you get past, um, you know, when you get past kind of like three or four players, then it's just like, okay, this guy gives us offense, this guy doesn't give us defense, so on and so forth. You know, like I know that there's a lot of debate with like T. Lou, Terrence Lewis, like why didn't he play? And, you know, I, I root for T. Lou just because, um, I'm so proud of how much he's matured, not just as a basketball player, but as a man. And, you know, you want somebody that's been in your program. That's a, you're talking about a four-star recruit. Like, clearly he didn't see himself being in this uh, position as a junior. So you just root for him. 
But at the same time, I can't put my coaches glasses on, so to speak, and see, you know, like T. Lou struggles sometimes, not in his effort on defense, but just um, in the coverages and, you know, breakdowns. Like you look at the Florida A&M game, you know, uh, hugged up on the weak side. So now they're getting pinned down after pinned down late in the game. And then the, the possession that uh, Florida, A&M, Florida A&M hit the three, um, T. Lou um, kind of got hugged up, overcommitted on, on the first side of the floor. And then when it got back cut, after that, T. Lou's like a pinball machine. They get in rotation and they give up a three. You know, those are things that a lot of, you know, a lot of fans may not see. So that, but I feel like it's like that with every player yeah. on their team, a lot of their role players, I should say, you know, okay, so we go Jackson. Okay. He's going to be sound on defense, but then what about somebody that can make the corner three, you know? So like if T lose in the game, those corner threes that Jackson missed, I think T lose at least going to make one of those, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? I think that he's going to make those, especially the way he's been shooting it. But then, how many possessions is he going to give up? So, I mean, it's not an ideal place to be in for the coaching staff when you're trying to figure out, you know, which direction, which goes back to my point. What is the identity of this team? If the identity of this team, what gives us the best chance to win? You know, stopping people or outscoring people? And for me, I'm looking at it, and I think because of the lack of experience and the lack of offensive talent at this point, it has to be, you know, like, uh, defense is an effort and IQ thing. So, like, we can control that. You can't necessarily control the offensive talent at this point. So, Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I think that that, too, is even what, like, kind of puts some pressure on that that big lineup that they've tried to play with Mike Jacobson and, and Solomon Young is that, you know, where I – I just don't know how much you can get from those guys offensively when they're on the floor together. And then, especially now that you're into Big 12 play, I mean, Mike Jacobson is just not capable, I think, of guarding guards at the Big 12 level. I mean, I think that that's been proven so far this season. It was, again, proven against TCU. And that's why him and Solomon both only played however minutes they played. I mean, single-digit minutes, really. And... uh I think that they both can be guys who can come in and, and give you some, you know, like this game tomorrow night against Kansas, this might be a good opportunity for those two guys yeah. because you get a, to go against a David McCormick. You get to go against a guy in, uh, like Yudoka Azabuke, who right now, I mean, Solomon Young is probably the best matchup Iowa State has against Doak. At least, I mean, I, I think that you'd probably agree, and, and I'd say that most people probably would. But uh that's that's just because of the physicality that they're able to bring to the table. But even then, Kansas is a team that, yeah, they're going to start with McCormick on the floor. He only played 10 minutes against West Virginia on Saturday. Uh, they're going to go four guards pretty quickly in this game. And and then you're back in the same dilemma a little bit where it's like, all right, we've got, we've got to have somebody out here who can guard Doak, but we've got to have guys who can match up with Braun or Isaiah Moss or whoever it might be. And that's just where they've they've kind of got a problem right now where you've got three guys who are front court players that all kind of play the same position and you don't really have a way to employ them all on both ends of the floor effectively. Yeah, no, I, I, you see the uh, the Kansas matchup the same way I do. You know, it's just uh, right down uh, Mike, at least how they start right down make Mike and Solomon Zowie. You know, I, you know, Solomon is a banger, and he can more than hold his ground. I saw him do it against Kanate for uh, for West Virginia. 
I saw him do it against Dope. You know, this is in, in his wheelhouse, and obviously the same thing goes for Mike. So, you know, I'm hoping, and I think that's one of the keys, obviously, like you go play Kansas, you know, you're an underdog, but you're at home, got one of the best home courts in the country, is, you know, getting getting off to a great start and giving the crowd something to cheer about um, to so they can get involved in the game and be a factor. And so hopefully when they start that big lineup, you know, um, Mike and Solomon can, you know, do what they do and, and help the team get off to a good start. Man, I feel like people have almost forgotten about how good Doak is just because of the fact that he missed last season. I mean, I was looking at his numbers this morning and, you know, Devon Dotson is a very, very good player. But Doak is the one who, like, takes them to being a national championship caliber team, in my opinion. I mean, what he can do for you near the basket, he's missed 17 shots the entire season. He's missed, like, six shots in Kansas's last six games. The dude is unreal, and with the way that he can play around the rim as far as being physical, his strength around the rim, his touch, uh, I mean, that – them getting him back like took that team to a completely different level even though and that's and what the crazy thing is they've only got like nine guys they play and I think only six of them ever play double digit minutes so it's like you get that guy and you got Devon Dotson and then you got your other kind of group of role players man you got a team that can still win a national championship even though you might not have the same amount of high level talent that Kansas has in past seasons yeah no absolutely and you know I think that you know if, if you man what about his uh Body transformation, his weight loss. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. And he hasn't missed a step either. Hasn't missed a step. Yeah. Not only has he not missed a step, he's gained a step. For me, like, he's much more effective. Like, the year I was at Iowa State, you know, it's run hard, hard rim runs, tire him out. And then once he gets tired, he's going to get in foul trouble. You know, get him in pick and rolls and get him out there on the floor because he's going to be tired, out of shape. And, you know, carrying that weight, he's going to be out of position. And when he's hedging hard, we're going to get him in foul trouble. And you look at him now in his pick-and-roll defense, he's able to get out there and hedge under control and do what he needs to do. He's able to play harder. He's able to play longer. You know, I, I think the one thing that I did notice when when Kansas uh, played Stanford, he did struggle with uh, doubles. So I, I, I would imagine that um, Iowa State is going to work on probably monster doubles, big-to-big. Mm-hmm. Uh, post doubles because he did uh, make some bad decisions. He didn't take his time. I'd imagine. I'd imagine they've worked on him with that, you know, because they saw the same thing that we all see. But it'll be interesting to see how he handles post doubles. You know, hopefully he's he he does what he did against Stanford. You probably can get some turnovers or take them out of some uh, take them out of some action. Yeah, so. yeah. And the thing too that is kind of that kind of hurts him is that his team continues to not be in v- very good shooting the basketball which was a problem for them last season but I mean they were three for 17 against West Virginia from three I mean Dotson's a good shooter Marcus Garrett is a streaky shooter I think would probably be the best way to describe him Isaiah Moss is the same kind of thing where we've seen him have some really good games when he was at Iowa but I think he's been kind of banged up this season I think Marcus Garrett might even be a little banged up right now too but uh like you at this point, Kansas is not a team that like terrifies me with what they can do from the three point line. I mean, their numbers are okay. I had I had them pulled up here, but uh, by no means are they like ridiculous or anything like that. I guess they're uh, yeah thirty four percent as a team from three. So yeah, I mean, I think that they'll if I'm you know kind of forming a game plan for what I'm going to do against Kansas. I mean, I think that doing everything I can to contain Doke is 
at this point would be my number one priority. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think the thing with me um, that's impressive is Kansas has kind of gotten back to guarded. Yeah. I think the oh, yeah. last few years they haven't guarded, but you watch the Stanford game, they guarded. You know, the West Virginia game, I mean, they guarded. Um, you know, so I think that's the biggest thing is, is, is their ability to guard and, you know, disrupt you and, and really compete on that end. Um, but yeah, they're not, you know, not only do they, do they not, they're not great, uh, three point shooting team. They also turn the ball over and they also don't make free throws, mm -hmm. you know? So, I mean, I, I definitely, I, I definitely think that, um, you know, Iowa State matches up, you know, well, because of, you know, when they play the two bigs and, you know, all that, I think that they can't, I think that Solomon is kind of like, you know, how they used to have a Kobe stopper. Yeah. You know, I think he could be, I think he's more than capable of being a dope stopper and I think that if there's one person in the league that that I would pick that say hey who can guard Doke um who can guard Doke without a double it would be it would be Solomon because he's strong you know he embraces he embraces that that's what he lives for is those uh battles uh with those big guys in the paint and he's more than capable you know but can he do it without you know getting in foul trouble if he does that you know I think it comes down to I heard Mike Boyden say this. Um, they showed a clip of him talking to his team after the West Virginia game. And he said he was proud of his team. They just didn't make shots. You know, it was cool to see how candid he was. But one of the things he said that they have to do is have competitive stamina. And I was like, I like that word. I've never really heard it. But I think that's Iowa State when you talk about competitive stamina on a defensive end. And I was talking to my dad, like I told you, this whole, you know, uh, you know, coming on here weekly with you is actually a cool bonding thing for me and my dad because he watches all the games with me and we talk through them. But that's, you know, what we were talking about. Where Iowa State is, is I think that in order to be successful in life, you have to look yourself in the mirror and, and be like, here's where I am. Here, here's what I lack. Here's what's preventing me from being successful. And I think with that, as it relates to Iowa State and the Big 12, they got to look themselves in the mirror and say, we're not going to just outscore you. That's not who we are this year. You know, we have to be the hardest working team. We have to out-effort you. But here's the thing. The top four teams in the league, you know, when you talk to, listen to Greenberg and Billis and Frischella, all of them say that four teams have separated themselves, West Virginia, Baylor, uh, Kansas, and Tech. All those teams play with effort. They have that competitive stamina. So if I'm looking at myself as Iowa State, I'm like, not only do we have to have it, we have to have that not to get embarrassed. But if we're really trying to walk and consistently walk into a game and consistently beat these teams, the effort that they play with on the defensive end, we have to we have to have more than that because mm -hmm. right now uh, Baylor has way more offensive firepower than we do. Texas Tech, they have minus, you know, Tyrese Halliburton. When you look at Texas Tech, they got Ramsey. They got Moretti. You know, they got the freshman kid, Shannon. You know, they've got, you know, they have more offensive firepower. You know, so I think that's what's gonna, that's what this game comes to. Not only are you going to – they can't match Kansas – they can't match Kansas's energy. They have to supersede it consistently. Yeah. And that's where – what comes back to something you said earlier just about – them getting off to a good start, I mean, I think is going to be – this might be the most crucial game for them to get off to a good start of any that they've played so far this season. I mean, you think back to that Iowa game 
and the crowd is all juiced. This is the only atmosphere that probably will match that Iowa atmosphere uh, in Hilton Coliseum. And in that game, they come right out, get off to an awful start. It's 18 to four. And then the crowd is basically out of it for the rest of the game. They can't get into that kind of scenario again. They have to feed off of the crowd. They have to be able to uh, come out and, and get some energy. If, you, if they could come out and get like, man, maybe hit a three, you know, get a steal, get a dunk or something like that and really get that place rocking. Like they've got to come out and land the first punch uh, in my mind if, if they're going to have any opportunity to hang around in this game just because you know like Kansas is, is going to – they're going to get up in your shorts on, on defense um, and they're going to try and dictate everything that you do. And they have to, Iowa State's going to have to come out and, and let the crowd help them dictate some of, uh, some of the, uh, I, I don't even know, some of the, the atmosphere, some of the, in, the energy of the game. Uh, otherwise, it could be a long day. No, I spot on. I agree with you. There's a reason that, that you know, people like Jamie Dixon have have no problem burning all their timeouts in the first four or five minutes when they come to Hilton. It's a special place. So, you know, hopefully they can get off to that good start and, and uh, had that 14,000, you know, helping them give them some energy. Yeah, for sure. All right. Before we uh, before I let you go, there's a couple of good games uh, here in the in the Big 12 still this week, too. Um, a, and this one will probably be over before some people get a chance to listen to this, but uh, Texas Tech and Baylor play tonight uh, in in the, a matchup of probably the second and third best teams in the Big 12 right now. Uh, if, if people want to get an idea of what we're talking about when we say playing playing at a high level and playing hard and competitive stamina, man, I don't know if there's a better game to watch between two teams than this one. Man, I'm excited. And uh, yeah, you're exactly right. And one of the things that I – um, one of the things that, that I look at that I notice with Baylor is their point guard. Watch where he picks up. Watch the pressure that he applies. I mean, if he plays like he's been playing thus far, he's not just letting the, the point guard get to their spots to initiate offense. He's trying to force you to turn your butt to the basket, and he's constantly putting pressure. They play hard on all three levels. So mm-hmm. they've got a point guard that takes pride in picking up uh, applying pressure. They got wings. They get up and deny, and they try to take your space away. They make multiple efforts. And then, obviously, they've got uh, big guys of size to protect the paint when you do get beat. And then, obviously, we all know how hard Texas Tech plays. The thing that, that I'm looking forward to with Texas Tech is I feel like that's one of those teams that is going to get better and better and better. They have a fun team to watch um, because they've got smart bigs that – can play all over the floor um, with Clark, who rem- is like mixture of the of Draymond Green and Montrez Harrell, the way that he plays. And then they've got the the grad transfer Holyfield, that's just a smart effort blue guy that just knows where to be, knows how to play. And then they've got Moretti, they've got Ramsey, Ky- Kyler Edwards, who's got to shoot the ball better. If he can shoot the ball better from the perimeter and take better shots, they're really going to be dangerous. And then they've got uh, the freshman. Is his last name? Is it Shannon? Uh, Is that his last name? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I'm pulling up there. Yeah. Roster. Right I just yeah, had a Ter- Terrence Shannon, yeah. Yep. Terrence Shannon, man. Yeah. He is – man, He's he is really, really good. He could be that – Ramsey is uh, – and I've seen him play. He actually plays in my dad's district here uh, in Texas. But um, he is a one-and-done type talent that can make shots big and strong. 
So man, just think if they'd Shannon ended up with RJ Hampton. Just think if they'd had RJ Hampton. Man, that man, oh, him and him and uh, him and Ramsey together, that would have been a problem. That yeah. would have been a big time problem. So it's a, it's, that's going to be an exciting matchup. I, I've got check. I think Check's going to win that. I think that Baylor, their offense, you know, it gets a little sticky. They start, they start uh, getting a little. Uh, uh, ISO ball playing for themselves like they did against Texas. Yeah. So I like Tech at home going away with that one. Yeah, for sure. I, I think you got to give Tech the the edge definitely at home in that one. And then another one I think that uh, Iowa State fans should keep an eye on as well is uh, tomorrow night. It's at the same time as, or I guess it's an hour after Iowa State in Kansas. So uh, maybe one to set the DVR for, but that's Oklahoma and Texas. And I think that uh, Oklahoma, I mean, they had a had a pretty good battle with Kansas State on Saturday, 66-61 win in that one. Um, but I think it'll be, you know, and I, I talked about this on the instant reaction. You and I talked about it on the phone after the game, but uh, that game on Friday, on Saturday between Iowa State and Oklahoma is like as big of a must win <clears throat> as maybe you're going to find in the second game of the of conference play. Uh, so just for people to get an eye on what the Sooners have, I think would, you know, would, would obviously be good because they've got some offensive firepower on that team. Absolutely. They got a wild card player. You know, like when Reeves, Reeves is like, he's the, like my, again, my dad's, like my dad's old school. He's like 69 years old, big coaching for 40 years. And like Reeves, um, I believe it's Austin Reeves for uh, Oklahoma. My dad couldn't coach him. You know, you don't know what you're going to get. I mean, if he's on, it's going to be a long night. If he's off, he's going to keep shooting, and it's going to be the best thing for the defense. And he made shots against Kansas State. I've seen him against Creighton and Wichita State where he was just taking those same shots and not making them. So I think that, you know, he's the wild card. But they, I really like one of my most uh, – probably most improved players, Christian Doolittle. I mean, he does a little bit of everything. He's like a point forward. And that, that actually will be a tough matchup for us. Um, yeah. that's like a question mark when they play Oklahoma. How do you match up with him? Um, and a lot of times they'll go small and almost they little depth line up and play him as a five, but he'll get the rebound and actually be a point guard. One possession, next possession, he's down on the block. So that'd be a tough matchup. I don't know. Texas and Oklahoma are exact opposites. Oklahoma has offensive firepower, but they are the worst defensive team in the league by far. Texas, I hate watching them play. I don't know about anybody else, but I don't know what the heck they're running. And but they but they'll guard you. They'll guard the heck yeah. out of you. So yeah, yeah. Uh, it's they uh, play the league's slowest tempo. I see now from looking at Kempom. So I'm sure that those Texas games will just be fun to watch for everybody all season long. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> Christian Doolittle got a little bit of that Buddy Heald senior year bump. It seems like with uh, Lon Kruger. Yeah. Uh, he he went from being a pretty good player to being a really good player in, in between junior and senior year. Man, he's improved a lot. I actually uh, – maybe I retweeted, but uh, if you go on my Twitter, Culture Adai, I did a breakdown of him um, just because I love his game, versatile skill set. I mean, he's – I think uh, the, at the time I did the breakdown, which is about a week and a half ago, he's shooting like 47% from the three. Yeah. 47% from the three. He's rebounding. He's got good touch. He's got good mo- uh, mid-post game. But I think a lot of that has to do with him getting in the gym. Uh, I've got a friend of mine who's actually related to him. They said he really got in the gym and dedicated himself for one last run in the Big 12. So, 
Yeah, man. It, I think the this is the last thing that I'm going to say. And it's just it's just because of something that I saw on the internet this morning, and from just looking at at Ken Palm, really, um, it is crazy to me this season. Just like it feels like college basketball in general might be down a little bit I guess it's just like it doesn't seem like it's quite at the same level that it has been in recent seasons and and the the number that I think really hammered that home for me is Iowa State this year their adjusted offensive efficiency uh, 109.3 that's 26th in the country in 2018 which was the team that that you were a part of uh, their offensive efficiency was 109.9 that was 81st in the country how crazy is that? Like just that it, the, it seems like college basketball in general, just offensively, especially, especially has just like really taken a hit. The one I would say offensive efficiency last year was 118.9. That would be, that would be first in the country by a wide margin right now. And that was like top 10 barely last season. Yeah, man. I don't uh, Seth Greenberg yesterday, man. He, he gave some, uh, some really good food for thought and he was just like, uh, they moved the three-point line back. A lot of people shooting sh- shots that shouldn't be. But then he was just like the record record number of people that left for the draft. And obviously us as Cyclone supporters, that hits home for us. Mm-hmm. you know. But he said that's not just the Iowa State thing. That's an epidemic of people leaving and staying in the draft. You know, back six years ago, like if you weren't a guaranteed first-round pick, you would go back to school. Whereas you take somebody like Lind- <laughs> Lindell that – wasn't even drafted and Taylor in second round that and they're 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 leaving. That's not just an Iowa State thing. So he's talking about there's so many people that should still be in, in college, you know, that's not I think that um I, I know that they had talked about it, but I think that something's gotta be done from the standpoint of even giving the kid an option to return to school after the draft. Yeah. If he doesn't, you know, so say for example Lindell goes undrafted. You know what I mean, and and then he can he can return back to school, you know maybe maybe that would help, but no, nah, it's definitely a nationwide epidemic. So, yeah, for sure, it Lindell has been playing pretty well for the the Wolves here the last couple playing weeks. Well. Yeah, he, I think he had shooting the ball well. points last night. Yeah, he is shooting the ball well. Uh, Taylor, I think, is on the active roster for the Lakers tonight. So that'll be, that'll up. be good to see. I don't see. know if you paying attention. Yeah, I don't know if you paying attention to Twitter, but man, that dude is. Good grief! He he he's got a highlight. I mean, like a a big time highlight every uh, every time I look on Twitter, yeah. and I'm upset with him. He I got a bone to pick with him because he played in Dallas and he didn't hit me up. I had to go on Twitter. Oh man! But as fate would have it, though, he just got caught up by the Lakers and they play in Dallas on Friday. Oh, there you go. So. So I'm yeah. going to try to go check him out. Oh, so you better go check him out. I saw that dunk that he had last week, and I was like, oh my goodness. This yeah. this dude is on yeah. one right now, uh, but for sure, man, he's a he's a special talent. It's cool for me, um, as you know me. I love I love mentoring mentoring um, basketball players this age, and it's cool just to see their growth. I got a kid that I work out uh, that I that I work out uh, here in Dallas, and just that time to just see where they start. He's go to goes to SMU. And just how far they just mature off the court and on the court. And the same thing goes like I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, I was very um, involved in helping recruit Tyrese, um, Zion, George, and Taylor. And I was just thinking, man, like had a little reflective moment. I'm just so proud of how much they've grown. 
every single one of them. Like Zion, Zion's not playing a lot right now. Yeah. And he's grown up to, like, when you go watch his body language, and this speaks to T. Lou, too. I have so much respect for T. Lou because, like, man, I'm watching how engaged he is, how he's cheering for his teammates, how he's up, applauding on the bench, and that energy, man, that's so special, and you don't see that a lot of places. But the same thing with Zion. You know, I still talk to a lot of a lot of those guys. I talk to Prentice a lot as well. And, you know, obviously, of course, he wants to be on the floor. But he's working hard. He's still getting up his shots. He's doing that. And then you got Tyrese. You know, like I remember when he was giving me his little – he had little bracelets. Him and his little boys got made of the little movement that they had going on. And he's just this little kid. Now he's on the cusp of being a multimillionaire yeah. NBA player. And then George, just to see his evolution. But then Taylor. Taylor, first time – like the first week in school, he called me crying homesick. I don't like it here. I don't know if I'm going to fit in. And then I remember that week he was just like, what do I need to do? I want to be a one and done basketball player. What do I need to do? And so to see him now, you know, being playing for the Lakers and LeBron James, it's just really cool to see how far those four kids have gone. Those those are like four special, special kids. So I'm so happy for their success. Yeah, definitely, man. And and Tyrese, if he keeps playing the way that he did on Saturday, he's going to keep on moving up people's boards, dude. I mean, he's, he, he's unreal. He ain't gonna have no play. He ain't gonna have no room to move up. <laughs> he ain't got much room to move up. No, that's true. But man, he the thing he's got on his side is that everybody might forget what James Weissman's like by the time uh, by the time June comes around. At this point, since we're not gonna get to see him anymore, and yeah, everybody's yeah, got to go to Australia to see Lamelo. Yeah. Hey, I got. Hey, I got a request for you. All right. Before so I leave, I need help. All right. Let me hear it. Man, I need Chris Williams. I need. I need Chris Williams to send me his hip hop playlist. Send you his hip hop playlist. Oh man. Yeah. I saw a tweet yesterday, and he told me his top five underrated rappers of all time, and it looks very similar to mine. He had Fabulous in there, Jada Kiss. You know, like I didn't know. I, I respect what he. I respect him in his hip hop game. So I need him to send me a. I need him to send me like a early 2000s throwback hip hop playlist. Can all you right. get that done for me? Yeah, I got you, man. Uh, he did he tell you that DMX is the greatest rapper of all time? Oh, I know. I saw that. Didn't he meet him or something? Somewhere yeah, he did, man. He, uh, me and him went to the DMX concert together. There's some aspects of this story that are uh, that are more to be told off the air, but uh, I was in the bathroom in a in an establishment and uh, and. And I walk outside and Chris puts his phone in my face and he's like, dude, look. And it's him and DMX. Picture him and DMX. I'm like, what the hell, man? Uh, you didn't wait for me? He's like, dude, I'm sorry. When X wants a picture, X, X gets his picture and then he was out of here. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, but then we were at the DMX after party at the at the Lime Lounge in downtown Des Moines. So that was uh, that was quite an experience, nice. man, let me tell you. Uh, but yeah, I'll, uh, I'll let Chris... I'll, I'll let Chris know about that. I'm just going to warn you right now. You might be disappointed. He, he might have come at, like, <laughs> he might have given you some good initial opinions, but you might, uh, you might be a little surprised once he sends you his full list. And uh, half of it is uh, the Veni Vedi Vecchi album from Ja Rule. Ooh. Hey, that ain't a bad album. It's not, dude. I love that album, honestly. But uh, the yeah. intro, I like the intro on that album. Oh, it's phenomenal. Underrated. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right, man. Uh, I'll talk to you next week, okay? All right. Sounds good, man. All right. Peace, bro. Thank you for joining us on the Cyclone Fanatic podcast here with Nick Graham. I'm Jared Stansberry. 
we're glad that you guys tuned in to listen to us from the Carl Chevrolet Studios. If you're looking to buy a newer pre-owned vehicle, Carl Chevrolet's Carl Chevrolet in Ankeny, Carl Chevrolet of Stewart, CarlChevrolet.com, CarlChevroletStewart.com. Exit 90 at the Rock in Ankeny, just west of the Des Moines Metro in Stewart. We'll talk to you guys again tomorrow on Stands and Fits. Peace.